It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Good evening. We've got a lot to get to tonight, including breaking news from the January 6th committee. Guess which Trump allies cooperating with the investigation? Plus, we're hours away from a monumental date at the Supreme Court with abortion rights on the line like never before in recent history. But we begin the readout with a deplorable form of Republican gaslighting, comparing mask mandates to the Holocaust. Again, last night it reached a new low when former respectable journalist and current right-wing troll Lara Logan went on wannabe Trump TV to say this about Dr. Anthony Fauci. And so in that moment, what you see on Dr. Fauci, this is what people say to me, that he doesn't represent science to them. He represents Joseph Mengele, Dr. Joseph Mengele, uh, the, doc- the Nazi doctor who did experiments on Jews during the Second World War and in the concentration camps. Ah, yes, the some people say way of getting some nasty stuff in. Now, to show you how ludicrous, but also how offensive that comparison is, let me talk a little bit about who Joseph Mengele actually was. Known as the Angel of Death, he presided over deadly and inhumane medical experiments on Jewish prisoners while serving as a physician at the Auschwitz concentration camp. He is described as the embodiment of absolute evil, a doctor assigned to select who would die or who would live, only to be subject to the ghoulish human experiments that he oversaw. He was particularly enamored of torturing twins. So no, Dr. Anthony Fauci, a public servant who has seen this nation through AIDS, bioterrorism, Ebola, swine flu, and now COVID, is nothing like Nazi doctor Joseph Mengele. Nor is Fauci anything like the creator of fascism, Benito Mussolini, other than being Italian. Is that what they're getting at? Because that too is offensive. It's a comparison Tuckums Carlson of Frozen Dinner fame made on his show last night. And no, it doesn't make sense. But making sense is hardly the point. It's about power and spreading lies and fake outrage. So the MAGA squad wins elections. They are today's angels of death. Refusing to get vaccinated and urging fellow Americans to remain exposed, even as their own parents, grandparents and children die of COVID. The numbers prove it. Red America has the highest rates of COVID death, but the lowest rate of vaccinations. They are literally killing their own people and even admitting it. One Kansas state senator said, and I quote, there are people that do not want to take this vaccine, even at the expense of their own lives. So we're here defending that liberty, unquote. So how many more people have to die before we say what we've all known for quite some time? This faction of the right is a death cult. Six unvaccinated members of a Florida family dead after contracting COVID. Mothers dying shortly after giving birth. Parents of young children wiped out. And then the harrowing news that more than 140,000 U.S. children have lost a caregiver due to the pandemic. Almost two years in, the trauma is irreversible. It's a trauma that has crossed generations. It is permanent and unforgiving. And so we ask again, How many more people have to die before these ghouls are satisfied? There is a way out. 
But one thing keeps us tethered to this awful pandemic, and that one thing isn't even COVID. Joining me now is Claire McCaskill, former senator from Missouri and an MSNBC political analyst, and Dr. Kavita Patel, former Obama White House policy director and an MSNBC medical contributor. And Dr. Patel, I want to let you start because the idea, first of all, the insult to Jewish Americans, to anyone whose family was lost in the Holocaust, of trying to compare a, a guy who's just trying to do good epidemiology and good medicine and save lives to Joseph Mengele is so insane that it's hard to believe they're doing it. But Lara Logan did it. And I want to let you respond. Yeah. When I heard this, Joy, uh, I actually kind of had to stop and say, did I hear that clip uh, as as I thought I heard it, and it's just because of exactly what I think all of us are thinking. Not only is it an insult to so many generations of people who are still grieving. I mean, it's it's just tearing open fresh wounds for so many around the world. But it also just creates another environment where we've somehow taken science, politicized it, and then not only politicized it, but turned science into the enemy in its entirety. And and then it renders useless anything that comes out of, you know, public health people, my mouth, anybody. All of a sudden, anything you say gets set up to fail by default, because when you can just throw out crazy comments like that, and, and it makes me also really kind of understand. I have to underscore, there's no universe where Dr. Fauci could just spout things like this. He has to be rooted in evidence. That's what we're trying to do as doctors. He's a researcher as well. Where is that accountability in the media? I mean, Joy, I know that we all try to hold ourselves accountable for even what we're saying on television to people. And we make mistakes. I've made them. But what is it when we do something that literally translates to people dying? And it really is. I mean, I've been we've all been grieving for 20 months. I, I truly, truly grieved another kind of wave when I heard that. And it's, it has me bracing for more. I think that's where I left it and where I'm coming to you tonight. It just tells me how much they want to turn this into something that is nuclear weaponized, really. And I can't even imagine what's going to come if Omicron and other things prove to be, you know, I hope they don't prove to be more virulent, more severe. You know, and Claire, they're lit literally you can just look at the map and red states have more COVID, more death, more hospitalizations, more children going to the hospital. They're literally killing their own people and people like Tuckums, who I bet you is vaccinated, whose company makes them prove they've been vaccinated. They can't even walk in to that Rockefeller Center um, building or the one in D.C. just unvaccinated and unmasked. They don't let themselves be at risk, but they have no problem bumping off their own supporters because, I mean, I just spoke with a dad over the last several days who lost his 28-year-old daughter to COVID because her mom pushed her to not get vaccinated. She's now dead. You can't take that back. These people don't care about that dad and mom. They don't care who dies. They just want people to believe that the vaccines are going to change your DNA or spike proteins or whatever BS they're pumping. I, I do wonder, too, about the lack of accountability, that you can just say that stuff on TV, your thoughts, or on streaming, or whatever. Well, I, I, I think there needs to be a rule. It's a pretty basic rule. You can't trash the vaccine if you've taken it. End of discussion. If you've taken the vaccine, you can't trash it. Because if you have taken it, then you are acknowledging the science that is involved and the life-saving qualities that vaccine represents in your own body. 
So all of these folks, everybody at Fox News, all of the people that are in Congress, Don Jr., Don Sr., all of them, all of them have taken the vaccine. There's another golden rule here that I think we ought to talk about, Joy. This is a party that has always billed itself as the party of life. And it's not just about giving somebody the freedom or liberty to kill themselves by not protecting themselves with a vaccine. Vaccines are about protecting others. They are about mm-hmm. preserving the lives of people that you encounter. Let's talk about healthcare workers that the doctor works with every day. They are exposed when these unvaccinated people show up in the hospital. And they are then in danger. So this is all about a very Christian principle. Whether or not you care about others enough to accept the unquestionable science that this vaccine not only can save your life, but it can save the life of people that you care about and strangers that you encounter. Yeah, indeed. I mean, Ressa Aslan, the brilliant Ressa Aslan, who is the person who first person who told me that this is a death cult. This Trump Trumpist Republican Party is a death cult. And he's absolutely right. Also is the person who said to me, a, a religion is when your savior dies for you. If you're a Christian, you believe that the savior died for you. A cult is when you're asked to die for your savior. That's what this is. And, and Dr. Patel, there's also a whiny little baby part of it. These people are so mad that anyone would tell them what to do. Wear a mask, do something simple like wear a little piece of cloth. They're so outraged that anyone would dare tell them to do something safe to keep other people safe. It's like, I'm not responsible for other people. I don't care. But here's the thing. If they lived in Austria, they have a vaccine mandate for the whole population. That's strict. Italy, real strict. Those mayors in Italy got on TV and screamed at people and said, you better take your butt home. They'll stop you in the street when they were on lockdown. Greece makes vaccines mandatory for everyone 60 or older with fines for not complying. Ghana is making COVID-19 vaccines mandatory for targeted groups. Singapore is going to stop covering the medical bills of the unvaccinated COVID-19 patients. No more money. You don't get your uh, treatment paid for. Italy is making health passes mandatory. Health passes. You have to walk around with a little green pass. They have it so easy in the United States, Dr. Patel, because this country politically can't do those kinds of mandates. That's why we're 58th in terms of vaccinations. Your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Look what's happening right now, literally in the recent days around the Biden administration's mandates across the board, federal contractors, uh, federal workers, and even healthcare workers who are working with Medicare or Medicaid patients. There's been a large kind of appellate decision so that you can't even enforce mandates. Imagine this, Joy, you have a family member in a nursing home, and we know that nursing homes are the hotbeds, especially early on and continuing still with people dying, even with breakthrough infections, because they're elderly, immunocompromised in general, and the healthcare workers in these institutions are not going to be held to a mandate. I think it's just speaking to, we have long lived in this kind of world of uh, national exceptionalism in the United States where, you know, it is all about me. And I'm not saying that's mm-hmm. something that I, 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 that's not something that I haven't experienced even personally, but I will say that what we are seeing is a global pandemic that does a virus doesn't care if it's all about me because it's all about the virus. The virus is the ultimate what, you know enemy that we should all concentrate on. And instead, we're doing what we would the absolute opposite script should be, where we're picking on each other. We're politicizing things that make no sense. Imagine if you descended kind of in the midst of this from any of those countries you mentioned and you saw what we were doing and you saw that you could walk into a pharmacy 
and any of us could get a vaccine. I have medical assistants who come from Central America, from other countries. They see us throwing away extra doses every single time, every single time it grabs at them and they say, I wish I could send this home to my relatives. Think about that. So what are we doing mm-hmm. here? You know, this is this is going to be what defines us for generations to come. And it sometimes just feels like we're losing. No, no, sometimes like every day. I mean, there are I have family in, in on the continent who they would love to get the vaccines for free and love to get access. They can't get it. There are countries where people cannot get access to it. People here are like, I don't want it. It's 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 embarrassing and it's stupid. And but here's the thing, um, Claire, it's also politically effective. Like the best kind of politics is say, do whatever you want. Get everybody sick you want. Cough on any child you want. Make them sick. It doesn't matter. It's all about you. We're going to make sure you get your tax cuts because that's all about you. The, the Playing to the greed, the avariciousness, the sort of guile and meanness of people is good politics because it means you can do whatever you want. Mehmet Oz, Dr. Oz, who as people know him, used to have a show on this network. He is going to now run, apparently, for um, statewide office for Senate in the state of Pennsylvania. I guess he now maybe lives there. Here's what he has written. He wrote this in, in, in the New York Times. I think it's published today. The pandemic, he wrote in his announcement that he's running, has been mishandled by, quote, elites, like he's not an elite, who stifled dissenting opinions, mandated policies, and closed our parks, shuttered our schools, shut down our businesses, and took away our freedom. This is the seat that Pat Toomey is vacating, Claire. This guy's a doctor. He's a TV star. He's got the same sort of Trump characteristics, which means he's probably in a really good position to win. And this doctor is running on the idea that I'm going to be the guy to free you, to cough on anybody you want and give them COVID. And it's all good. Your thoughts. Well, first of all, you said doctor and TV star, and it has to go the other way. He is first a TV star. Then he kind of is a doctor because um, we did an investigation into Dr. Oz when I was in the Senate and I convened a hearing of the Consumer Protection Committee and grilled Dr. Oz. This is a guy who went on TV and said that green coffee beans were a miracle in a bottle. It could burn fat magically. He pushed all of this ridiculous stuff that has no scientific basis whatsoever. And he was exposed in that hearing as a charlatan, as a snake oil salesman. So no wonder he is embracing Donald Trump. They are both TV stars and neither one of them belong in government. He's like the Surgeon General in Florida. <laughs> it's, it, it is, it's a whole, there's a whole bunch of them out there. They have doctor in their title, but they aren't going to help you get well. They're going to help you get sick. It's amazing. And he's probably got a good shot because he's famous. What a world. Former Senator Claire McCaskill, Dr. Kavita Patel. Thank you both very much. Up next on the readout, whoo, Trump's efforts to block Congress from getting White House records may be nearing an end as the select committee gets ready for its next contempt vote. Also, on the eve of one of the most consequential Supreme Court cases in decades, what overturning Roe v. Wade would mean for America. Plus, he could be the next speaker, the spineless Republican leader who refuses to do anything about the open racism within his caucus. And tonight's absolute worst, the organized campaign to make sure the books your children read first get the stamp of approval from the white right. The readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. 
The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Three appellate judges today heard arguments about whether Donald Trump can withhold White House records from the Select Committee investigating January 6th. For months now, Trump has tried to claim executive privilege over documents held by the National Archives, even though the current president, whose prerogative it is, has waived that privilege. So it's no surprise that the panel of judges today appeared skeptical of Trump's case. As NBC News reports, they seemed prepared to rule that Trump's authority as a former president is not strong enough to overcome President Joe Biden's decision that Congress needs the material. Notably, one judge bluntly questioned why a former president should be the one to determine what gets released and what doesn't. Meanwhile, Trump's allies are also stonewalling when it comes to witness testimony. According to The New York Times, the committee is now ready to refer Jeffrey Clark for criminal charges of contempt for defying their subpoena and walking out of a deposition. Clark was the guy inside the DOJ who plotted with Trump to lie to officials in six states about the validity of their vote. By defying the committee on so many fronts, Trump and his former officials are covering up potentially criminal conduct, using frivolous court challenges to try to slow the investigation down. At the same time, Trump is laying the groundwork to attempt another coup in 2024 if he runs again and the election doesn't go his way. The Washington Post is out with a new report on Trump's ongoing effort to install big lie stalwarts in key election posts at the state level. That even includes volunteer poll watchers, paid precinct judges, elected county clerks, and state attorneys general. He's packing those offices with loyalists who would be the most willing to overrule you, the voters, and put who they want in office. And that is a very scary prospect. With me now is Maya Wiley, MSNBC legal analyst, and Kurt Bardella, advisor for the DNC and the DCCC. Thank you both for being here, Maya. Just listening to the arguments that were made today, what do you think the chances are that Trump prevails in trying to keep these records secret? Oh, I think Trump is going to lose. I have long maintained that this was a flimsy, flimsy attempt to try to hide whatever it is he's trying to hide, which is probably some things that don't make him look too good, at minimum in the court of public opinion. And, you know, as we already heard from the district court judge at the trial level, it's a very strong opinion because essentially there is a statute, a law that Congress passed that said it is the protection of the presidency, not the protection of the person that this privilege covers. So it is the sitting president, in this case, Joe Biden, who determines whether or not there's a real interest of the presidency to protect. And what interest can there be in uh, Congress seeking to figure out how it was violently attacked, why it was violently attacked, uh, how to prevent it from being violently attacked again, and the extent to which anyone, including the president, may have in any way participated in the events of January 6th that are criminal. It seems to me that's very specifically within the legislative purview of Congress. 
It's it's so obvious. It, it would seem that if the theory of the case is that the attempted coup was spawned by either the White House itself or people who supported the current the, the previous president, that president shouldn't decide whether or not we get to know about it. It's, it's absolutely weird that they're making this argument or that, you know, it would embarrass the form. They made that argument, too. That it's, it would be embarrassing. So that should that's why it should be kept secret. That's not how that works. Um, Kurt, let's talk about some of the people who are actually cooperating. So Mark Meadows, uh, the former chief of staff to Trump, is now cooperating. Uh, Representative Benny Thompson, he said this in a statement. He has produced records to the committee and will soon appear for an initial deposition. However, Meadows' attorney said, quote, we continue to work with the committee to see if we can reach an accommodation that does not require Mr. Meadows to waive executive privilege. So it sounds like they're going back and forth just a little bit. But that's two days after Adam Schiff said in a contempt referral that was going to come for him this week. You've also got Brad Raffensperger, who's Georgia's top elections official. He was already interviewed for more than four hours by the select committee today. And he said he spoke at length about a notorious January phone call with Trump, in which Raffensperger refused the then president's demands to, quote, find enough votes in Georgia to overcome his deficit and hand him the election. What do you think Trump world is feeling and thinking, knowing that some people are now finally talking? Well, I think Joy explains why there are so many who are so close to Trump who are resisting and obstructing this investigation. They know that the more people talk, the more it's going to be, the worse it's going to be for them. I think when it comes to Mark Meadows, again, this is kind of one of those trust but verify situations. It would not shock me if at the end of the day, they do this little back and forth with the committee and, and end up being on opposite sides. Uh, it would not shock me at all if it turns out that Meadows isn't being as cooperative as he would like to believe, that this is just a legal tactic for him to try to appear to be cooperative without actually complying. We'll see how that all plays out. But at the end of the day, the more that comes out, the more that people are testifying, the more that people are cooperating, the worse it's going to be for Donald Trump. I mean, we already know innocent people don't act like the way that Donald Trump and Steve Bannon and Jeffrey Clark are, are, are acting right now. If you have nothing to hide, you cooperate. The fact that anybody would try to obstruct an investigation that's trying to get to the bottom of one of the darkest days in this country's history is downright un-American. It's unpatriotic. It's a violation of our democracy and our rights. And at the end of the day, we have to get to the bottom of what happened. And we need to know who was involved, what people knew when, who profited from it, who helped organize it, and who is ultimately going to be held accountable for it. Yeah, I mean, these people were using burner phones and you know to, to contact the White House. I mean, obviously something was up. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the people who are actually being prosecuted. It's the low level people. It's the stupid people who decided to rush in there and, you know, kick in the doorways, Maya, and go inside and defecate in the Capitol. And the guy with the funny horns is now trying to switch out his legal team. Uh, he's decided to hire the QAnon shaman. Um, he's decided he needs new lawyers. Jacob Chansley has. He got 41 months for the stupidity he uh, did there in the Capitol. He's hired John Pierce who represented Kyle Rittenhouse, but was fired by Kyle Rittenhouse and his mother because he's the one who allegedly set up Rittenhouse with the Proud Boys in a bar when he was 17, where he was there with his mom and therefore it was legal to be in the bar. That's who he's hired. Your thoughts, Maya? Look, you can't make this up. <laughs> I mean, let me just start with the fact that it makes perfect sense that from a, from a prosecution standpoint, you're going to start with the easy, obvious cases. You've got video tape, you've got clear violations, and work your way up from that. But I think really what we're seeing, and this links not only from the prosecutions, but also to what the January 6th committee is doing, 
which is drawing the line between white supremacy and neo-Nazism uh, right into January 6th, but also right into the White House. Because Alex Jones, advisor to Trump, who is being subpoenaed because Trump, you know, apparently asked that he be allowed to speak at the rally, who is someone who has made common cause with Richard Spencer, who has now been found by a jury to have been conspiring for violence in Charlottesville. Roger Stone, who met with the Proud Boys at an Oregon Republican Club committee and flashed a white supremacist OK symbol. I mean, these are the people that this January 6th committee is also subpoenaing. So there really is a very clear link between the relationship between both the Trump administration and its acolytes and white supremacy and neo-Nazi behavior, which is violent, which is dangerous to democracy, and which played a key role here in the January 6th violence that we saw and in other violence. Yeah. And in, and very quickly, Kurt, the problem is that that is not a um, that that's not a negative enough to get you booted out on the Republican side right now. All of those things that Maya Wiley just said at this point are, you know, not a not a not a they're, they're not an absolute no. Well, I mean, this is the problem that we have right now is one political party in America has become and has fully embraced being a white nationalist gang effectively. I mean, when you see that there are people like Lauren Bobart and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Paul Gosar, it used to be that these people were the outliers in the party, that they were they were oftentimes mocked by the Republican Party establishment. They are the Republican Party establishment now. And so anybody who's out there who's thinking about how they're going to vote, what party they're going to line with, make no mistake about it. If you are with the Republican Party, you are with the racist white nationalist party. It is a black and white issue. Now, there's no gray area anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, yeah, the weirdos are in charge. That's for sure. Maya Wiley and Kurt Bardella, thank you both very much. Up next, looking ahead to a monumental day at the Supreme Court tomorrow as it considers whether to turn back the clock on abortion rights in America. The ramifications of this case cannot be overstated, and we will be right back. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. We are hours away from the start of one of the most significant Supreme Court cases in years, which could spell the beginning of the end of Americans' constitutional right to an abortion. Tomorrow, the Supreme Court will hear arguments from the state of Mississippi, which is outright asking the court to overturn Roe versus Wade. If that happens, the Guttmacher Institute reports that 26 states are certain or likely to ban abortion, which would force patients to travel hundreds of miles to find a clinic in a neighboring state, assuming they can afford to do that. 
Overturning Roe is extremely unpopular with the American people, it turns out. In a Washington Post-ABC poll, 60% say that Roe v. Wade should be upheld, and 75% say that the decision to have an abortion should be left to a woman and her doctor. But the court isn't beholden to popular opinion. Joining me now is Neil Katyal, former acting U.S. Solicitor General, and Liz Winstead, comedian, co-creator of The Daily Show, and founder of Abortion Access Front. Thank you both for being here. And, and Neil, I'm going to start with you, because I just assume they're going to overturn it. Uh, you know, and, and I just base it on the fact that you have a couple of the justices who've been outright very clear that they want to overturn it. Justice Roberts is one of them. But I'm just going to go through and put up the Washington Post analysis of where these justices stand. They have Roberts as hard to peg. Thomas has written that Roe was wrong, wrongly decided. Alito, previous support for restrictions. Gore, such few rulings on abortion to really go by. They label Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett is basically conservative, but, you know, maybe they would believe in superstar decisis or being incremental, which I'm not sure I believe. And then there are the three liberals. Am I wrong to be skeptical? Because when John Roberts was actually, you know, go- went through his confirmation hearings, he said that he was only acting as a lawyer when representing a client when he wrote in a legal brief filed by the George W. Bush administration that Roe v. Wade had no support in the text structure or history of the Constitution. I take that to be the views of all the conservatives, and I just think they're going to overturn it because they want to. Your thoughts? So, Joy, I think tomorrow is maybe the most important case in our lifetimes because for since 1973, women have been guaranteed a right to an abortion under Roe versus Wade, a seven to two decision written at a time when there were seven Republican nominated justices on the Supreme Court. And so when you look at that tally, you know, I think that that's, you know, the cause for concern. I'd say if there's any hope, we're going to be watching the chief justice and perhaps Justice Kavanaugh because both of them do have a professed desire to be incremental. Um, Now, the problem is a lot of justices say that at their confirmation hearings and then actually Mm -hmm. don't live it in practice. You know, Justice Thomas said he hadn't thought about Roe versus Wade ever during his confirmation hearings and then turns around two months later and says Roe was obviously wrong and should be overruled. And so one of the things we'll be covering this tomorrow live on our network on MSNBC, and we'll be actually taking the questions the justices are asking and the statements they're making and contrasting it with what they said at their confirmation hearings, because the confirmation hearings, unfortunately, have been a charade. And um, I think we have to be really worried. We're really worried about Roe versus Wade, given the Republican project, which has been since 1973, to get that decision overruled. Amen. And and by the way, when Roe first happened, Liz Winstead, uh, the Christian conservatives did not react to it because they were more focused on you know, segregated academies not being able to get their tax breaks. They weren't really focused on Roe, but they are focused on it now. And there has been a list of justices that were just handed to Republican presidents, including Donald Trump. Donald Trump didn't pick these people, Gorsuch and Amy Coney Barrett. They, it, it was on the Heritage Foundation list. And he just, he just did what, they, what he was told. And they are picked because they want to overturn Roe. They'll say whatever they have to to get in, but that's what they're going to do, right? I mean, so for you who has an, an organization that is actively trying to protect women in this in this instance, what happens if they overturn it? I mean, what happens if they overturn it is we have to do what the Republicans have been so amazing at. We have to really be laser focused on what is happening in our state legislatures because these laws are being passed in our state legislatures and have been 
the entire time. And Joy, it was so interesting to watch your previous segment, because as we talk about the insurrectionists and the people who just do not care at all about the rule of law, when you look at Mississippi and how this case got to the Supreme Court, the lower court, the Fifth Circuit, the most conservative court in the land, twice said, you know what? This isn't going to pass muster. And the state of Mississippi and the Extreme conservatives there went to the Supreme Court to say, we want a hearing, and they got one. And that should make everyone take a pause, right? And so folks learning about who are the legislatures, who are the governors in your state, who are the people who are running solely on this issue, because so many of them are, and looking the intersections of those people and white supremacy and how they feel about guns. And how they feel about all this stuff. And I think that it's all intersectional and we need to pay attention closely. No, I totally agree with that. And the thing is, Neil, it'll be like the dog that caught the car. You know, I, during the, the Bush 2 administration, I, I used to say, you know, in talking with, with Republican friends, y'all don't really want to get this overturned because then you have to fight women in all of the states. Every state you're going to have to fight, not poor women. They don't have any money. You have to fight rich women. Because rich women are going to go want to get their abortion. They're going to want their daughters to be able to do what they need to do. So you're going to have to fight women who thought they were in the club. You have to fight them now. And, and, and what do you think happens then in all of these states when these state legislatures do what they said they were going to do when they ran, including in Virginia, where that guy secretly said, listen, as soon as I'm in, wink, wink, Yunkin, I'll do what I got to do. Yeah, no, there's been a whole performative aspect to this upon the Republican Party claiming to be pro-life and pass all these laws, but knowing all the well that these laws will never take effect because of the Supreme Court decision in Roe versus Wade. If Roe's overturned, they're going to roost, you know, live to really regret that day because the idea in 2021 of taking a woman's right to choose away from them, I mean, you know, that's hmm. basically unthinkable. And, you know, I know your poll said 60 percent. I've seen polls saying it's much higher than that. Um, you know, this is yeah. going to be a decision that's immensely out of step with the American people and really American values. We're, we're out of time. But Liz, is your organization going to be out there tomorrow? We're out there tomorrow. And I think what you're going to see tomorrow is people who are angry and are going to show it. And the juxtaposition of how civil disobedience looks in a democracy and that doesn't mean you can't be angry and does but it also means you can be respectful and it also means you can stand your ground in a way that is not violent and and i want people to watch what happens tomorrow because that is how it's tomorrow is how it's done not january 6th yeah and once they take away your rights over your own body you'll see what happens to come next it's never good Mm -hmm. neil katyal Liz Winstead. Thank you both very much. He's still ahead. It's not your parents, GOP, tracing the downward, not to mention dangerous trajectory of the Republican Party. Who are these people now considered leaders of the once August party? And how in the world did they get there? We'll be right back. The Republican Party has had quite a life cycle, with impressive figures like Joseph Gurney Cannon and Nicholas Longworth serving as speakers of the House. But that was more than a century ago. More recently, we've seen a precipitous decline in the quality of Republican leaders, like Newt Gingrich, who ushered in the age of hyperpolarization and open moral hypocrisy. Dennis Hastert, who was later accused of being a pedophile. John Boehner, who couldn't control the Tea Party or even handle them, and throw granny under the throw granny over the cliff guy, Paul Ryan. These days, 
Who does the Republican Party have in waiting? Why Kevin McCarthy, whose spinelessness in the face of fascist GOP freshmen make Boehner look like Thaddeus Stevens. Where has McCarthy been? While members of his caucus made racist remarks and threatened the lives of fellow Democratic colleagues. For example, perhaps America's dumbest Congresswoman, Lauren Pew 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 Boebert, predictably decided not to use her recent call with Congresswoman Ilhan Omar to apologize for portraying her as a suicide bomber and instead use it to further attack Representative Omar. And we also learned today that Boebert did that same tasteless Islamophobic vaudeville act at a conservative gathering last month. And when a member of Kevin's party, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, actually did the appropriate thing for once that he was too cowardly to do, condemn the comments, Mace gets attacked and called trash by the ratchet three-named congresswoman from Georgia, who then runs off to call orange-shoed retired daddy to complain about Representative Mace. What would you think of little Kevin, who wants to be leader so, so badly, would show some, I don't know, leadership? Nah. With me now, Dana Milbank, columnist for The Washington Post. And Dana, it's always great to see you. I want to play for you an, an, an old clip of Kevin McCarthy. This is back when he was pretending to be a grown male adult. Um, <laughs> here he is condemning Steve King's comments, which were openly defending white nationalism. Here he is. It's hard to believe this is the same guy. We know that Kevin McCarthy. First and foremost, I came out at the very moment. That language has no place in America. That is not the America I know, and it's most definitely not the party of Lincoln. I will not stand back as a leader of this party, believing in this nation that all are created Mm -hmm. equal, that that stands or continues to stand and have any role with us. (laughs) Is that the same guy? I mean, if Steve King was around today, would he even condemn him or what? (laughs) <laughs> what have they done with Kevin McCarthy? Bring him back. Uh, Joy, I think the the issue here is we we call uh, Kevin McCarthy the Republican leader, but really, you know, you hear of rhinos, Republican in name only. He's a leader in name only. The real power in the caucus, uh, the de facto Republican leader, is your friend uh, uh, Margie Green. Uh, and, you know, because for the very simple notion that she commands a large enough uh because of her outrage, she commands a large enough uh, segment of the uh, House Republicans that Kevin McCarthy can't remain as leader and certainly can't become speaker without her say so. So essentially everything he does has to pass muster with Green. So I think we need to start recognizing that they have uh, titular leaders in the party, but the real powers are Green, uh, Gozar, and uh, Boebert, the ones who have succeeded in being the most outrageous, the most uh, white nationalists, the most violent in their rhetoric. That's how you get power. That's how you get on Fox News. Uh, and that's how you dominate in uh, today's Republican Party. No, 100%. It's not a party anymore, right? They're just like a, they're like a, a, com- a comedy act, like a bad comedy act. And you're right. The, the ones who do the stupidest act, they're competing with each other to like outdumb each other. And that is how they survive because they get on Fox. They get popular. It's gay to, you know, keep your teenagers locked down if he's in the room. It's, you know, go, what is his name? Gomert. It's, it's, it's the guy who's trucking with white nationalists whose family says that he's unfit to be a congressman. Like Margie Green said it very clearly. And I think she ain't lying. She's saying Kevin McCarthy can't even be speaker without her. Just as you said, let's play her. This is Marjorie Green about Kevin. 
we know that Kevin McCarthy has a problem in our conference. He doesn't have the full support to be speaker. He doesn't have the votes that are there because there's many of us that are very unhappy about the failure to hold Republicans accountable while conservatives like me, Paul Gosar, and many others just constantly take the abuse by the Democrats. That's it, Gosar. She ran to, to, to Daddy Trump to go tell on Mace, who was doing, you know, the two-step on CNN saying one thing about vaccines on Fox and the other thing. But now she's like trying to be decent and they're attacking her. She went and told on her to daddy. And Trump has released a statement today saying it's Ilan Omar who should apologize, disparaging her further. So once daddy has said that, doesn't that mean that Kevin McCarthy cannot condemn these remarks cannot condemn this behavior because that lady, Marjorie Green, will probably be in his leadership team if, in fact, he becomes speaker. It's going to be the guy who says he's Donald Trump without the baggage as number two. And it's going to be probably that lady or one of the other weirdos as number three. Right. Well, yeah, I agree. Right. That, that's true. And I agree that uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, can't condemn. But I think the real question is, does he wish to condemn? I don't think we're talking about the same man uh, you played a clip of a few years ago because the party has changed so much and he's just so nakedly ambitious that he wishes to stay uh, in control. So think of all the outrages, the uh, uh, you know, the, the two, the censure, the two uh, uh, members removed from uh, committee, uh, uh, Boebert, we've seen outrage after outrage, uh, and he's not said a thing. You know, you get, you might get a pass yep. because uh, you've got a poor political hand once or twice. When you're doing it steadily, you are the problem. Yep. You are embracing right. uh, this white nationalism. You're embracing uh, the violent rhetoric. You know, I mean, you you showed a, a picture of uh, John Boehner. He had to deal with uh, Michelle Bachman, uh, but he dealt with her mm -hmm. and he remained uh, the leader. Of course, he left after a while because it was so frustrating. McCarthy's not even town. trying. He is, <laughs> right. He's yeah. handed over the party to the uh, uh, Mar Margie Taylor uh, Greens of the world. He sold his soul. He's selling his soul to the devil, basically. He's like, take my soul. I just want to be speaker. Let me play for you. Representative Omar, she had a press conference today. She actually played one of the death threats that she got um, after Lauren Boebert did her little stupid joke. Um, here it is. We see you, Muslim. We know what you're up to. You're all about taking over the country. Don't worry, there's plenty that will love the opportunity to take you off the face of the Come get it, but you Muslim piece of jihadist. To date, the Republican Party leadership has done nothing to hold their members accountable. It is time for the Republican Party to actually do something, to confront anti-Muslim hatred in its ranks and hold those who perpetuated accountable. I'm going to give Representative Ilhan Omar the last word in this segment. And thank you, Dana Milbank, my friend. Appreciate you. Thanks, Joy. Coming up, don't go anywhere because tonight's absolute worst is next. As librarians across the country grapple with conservatives, organized campaign to ban books that scare them. We'll be right back after this. Anyone who knows me knows I love books, history books, novels, comic books. I just love to read. It's a total coincidence that my married name sounds just like R-E-A-D, but spelled differently. 
So this thing really bugs me that's happening in our country right now. We're so-called conservatives who fear history and who hate the fact that young people might access the true history of this country in books are launching fake grassroots campaigns to try to get books banned, especially books that tell the story of the formation of this country from the point of view of the indigenous or slavery and post-slavery America from the point of view of black people or the history and stories of people who are LGBTQ. In short, the book banners are coming and they're fake Grassroots campaigns aren't being run by random parents on their own. Oh, no. They're being sponsored by right-wing organizations like Heritage Action, the campaign arm of the Heritage Foundation, and a Daughters of the Confederacy-style group called Moms for Liberty, whose Tennessee chapter filed a complaint under that state's new anti-critical race theory law, objecting to K-12 schools teaching several books about the civil rights movement including a book about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who the book banners love to fake quote to justify their aggression against teaching history. Why did the Moms for Liberty object to the book Martin Luther King Jr. and the March on Washington? Well, because it describes white police spraying powerful fire hoses at black children marching for equal rights to the point where the water tore off their clothes, which actually happened. So they, of course, have labeled that pornography. And they are displeased by the fact that the book describes notorious director of public safety Bull Connor as standing for hate more than any other person in Birmingham, which sounds accurate. Other books Moms for Liberty objected to in Tennessee include Ruby Bridges Goes to School, a book written by Ms. Bridges, who desegregated a New Orleans elementary school at just six years old, accompanied by National Guard troops for her protection in 1960. Also, the story of Ruby Bridges by Robert Coles and Separate is Never Equal by Duncan Tonatia, because you wouldn't want children to know that black people were treated as unequal in America. They also think that learning about the March on Washington would be too traumatizing for white kids. Seriously. Luckily, the Moms for Liberty complaint was rejected, but they and their allies are not stopping. They're accelerating these campaigns all over the country, claiming that books that talk about racism, slavery, the Holocaust, growing up LGBTQ and more, including books by Pulitzer Prize winner Toni Morrison, are unacceptable, offensive, anti-American and dangerous. And of course, pornographic. So they want these books banned. Some of the radical anti-history people even want them burned, like Fahrenheit 451, which they'll probably also try to ban if they haven't already which is why I think we should buy these books even more and give them as gifts or donate them to schools and libraries because reading is what? Fundamental. And learning history is important and worthy. And book banners are the absolute worst. And that's tonight's readout. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.